I'm David Manilow and welcome to The Dining Table. On the table today, two Chicago restaurant dynasties, one that goes back four generations and another that's relatively new. I'll talk with Amy Morton about what it was like growing up in a family that started Morton Steakhouse, Hard Rock Cafe, and dozens of other concepts. We'll talk about her new restaurant in Evanston and why she also loves a cozy Korean spot in the Northwest suburbs. And I, I try not to introduce it to too many people because I want to be able to get a table next time. I said, if you like that one, I've got one of my own you got to try. Plus, Ali Marati and I covered the Boca Group and their incredible rise from their namesake on Halstead 20 years ago to more than two dozen restaurants in cities across the U.S. That's next on The Dining Table. I'm here with Amy Morton of Latour Restaurant in Evanston, fresh off of a splendid review in the Chicago Tribune. How's it going, Amy? Fantastic. Very good. Thank you, David. First question for you. What is your current favorite restaurant in the Chicago area? My current favorite restaurant is Jean Zhu, and it is a Korean restaurant on West Dempster. It's the 5700 block, and it is... Literally, there's just a door in a strip mall. Wow. And you've arrived. By the way, one of the great things I get talking to folks like you, people in the restaurant industry, people who, is I learned something. I, I know nothing about this place. So tell me. Well, I didn't know anything about it either until we stumbled on it. And I was coming back from O'Hare with my beau. He, he's always blown away because he lives in Charleston. And, and whenever we get onto Dempster Street, he's seeing like, every ethnicity known to man. And he's just craving it. And so this one day we just decided to stop. And I must admit, we did stop two, at two places before we landed at John Ju. <laughs> and it was incredible, incredible. Um, I order the exact same thing every time I've been there. And every time I go, I see this other thing that I say I have to get. And I'm gonna get it next time. <laughs> And I, I try not to introduce it to too many people because I want to be able to get a table next time. But I've still brought everybody I love there. Yeah, that's awesome. And so is it, Jeonju, it's, it's, is it like Korean comfort food or, or barbecue? Or it's what? not Korean barbecue. Um, they do bring a hot pot, um, actually like a stovetop cooker to the table for a few of their dishes. To me, it is the best of anything. Um, if you like sort of that that style Asian food, I love mm -hmm. the soups. They come bubbling over and hot. And, mm. you know, from the goat to the seafood to the tofu, it's all incredible. And there's just a woman and a man that run it. And they're there night and day. I love those places. So I have a couple that similar places that I would recommend. One is in Arlington Heights, which because I think there's just out there that's just underrated, especially uh, Korean food, different Japanese food. But which place? It's called Toa, T-T-O-W-A. And that's in Arlington Heights. I think it's a little bit more upscale than um, than Jianju. And that, you know, they have rice cakes and buns and seafood pancakes that are really good. But the other hidden place that not too many people know about that I would recommend for the winter is called Hanbat. H-A-N-B-A-T. I'm writing it down. Okay, okay. And that is, it's they basically only do bone broth soup. 
So it's like this milky. I need it for my voice. Well, we need it for winter. It's like this milky bone broth soup. I've had it before. And they have kimchi on the side and they give you rice. And I think it's like, I think there was one in LA and then they brought one here. And it's, where is that's that? One, one? That is on Lawrence. Like I think 2,700 West. Oh, yeah. okay. In, in Koreatown. Correct. Correct. So what, whatever, I mean, Chicago Calbee was my favorite oh, yeah. for years. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That even might have been a Cornick discovery. I don't remember. We ate there forever. Um, but a lot of people are saying what they feel is the best Korean is, I don't know. Chosunak? K1 or something oh, like okay. that, right across the street from um, King Spa in Isles. Oh, wow. Really? It's a grocery store with the little like stand in the back. Everyone says that's that's the bomb. So we have more we have more to discover. It's it's funny because it's like you're talking about the the kind of the burbs, which I like I said before, I think there's just like amazing places out there. And the people in the city, and I'm like let the, they really want to travel. But speaking of traveling, Latour in Evanston. May we is French and Moroccan. It is, yes. And it's a lovely place. You go way back in Evanston, you had Trio, which was like a f- really famous Grand Act. It's got to start there. Other folks got to start there. Yours is a destination place. And I have a question. Why why French Moroccan? Tell me about that. Why French Moroccan? Why is Latour French Moroccan? Why does Moroccan, to me, fit in with French? Southern France, particularly, is a melting pot. It is, you know, the number one point for North African arrivals on the continent, and many of them settled there. So I, I, I feel that the heart and soul of North African flavors rests there along the seaside and migrates north. I mean, the rest of France, including Paris, really is spattered with some hole-in-the-wall Moroccan to some really, really funky, cool, hip chic. And to me, the cultural, earthy piece that is Morocco to me was needed in this concept for some grit, for some some, um, culture. But I'll tell you, when when I dined there, which was very recently, the thing I, first of all, we had a great time. Food was great. You're 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 like the ultimate fun hostess as well. But I, what I really noticed, because I kind of like, I, I sometimes like take the temperature of the room, and people were having a re- not only a really good time, they were staying for a while. They were really comfortable in the environment, and I think that that's part of a secret sauce of a restaurant. Are, you know, do are people allowed to have a good time at your place? And and I think that's what you've accomplished, which is great. Oh, I take that as such a huge compliment. I was going to make a joke about that and say my dad always said that was the intersection, you know, the the restaurateur's greatest feat and also their greatest fear. How long are people going to sit? <laughs> I know. And I actually, and I learned something over the years about there are chairs that they describe by the, the either the minute or the hour, right? This is a half hour chair. Oh, this for fine dining. This is the three hour chair, right? Because it makes you, you, you sink into the chair or you're getting uncomfortable enough that okay, I'm ready to go. I have to say, I've noticed a difference between the rooms at Latour. And you were sitting actually in the Casablanca room, which is the earthiest of the three rooms. Nice. And I actually tend to find guests in that room sit longer 
than in the lounge and in the bar. Uh-huh. The vibes just are different. There's just a little bit cozier uh, environment back there versus kind of like uh, buzziness. And I think that's one of the best things about the restaurant is we really, I, I'm feeling are succeeding in creating a, a number of experiences inside the one space. And um, I think people like that. Absolutely. And briefly tell our listeners what kind of things are on the menu. Oh, okay. Well, we'll start with the French because it really is rooted in um, the heart of traditional French cooking. Um, the most traditional items on the menu are uh, a, a Lyonnais salad, frise salad. And obviously these are all created by Chef Debbie Gold, our executive chef and, and my partner in the restaurant. And we are two women from the North Shore. So they are obviously our takes, but Debbie lived in France for a long time. So her little twist on the Lyonnaise is with a duck egg, which just gives you that much more of that beautiful runny yolk. Her piece a la dière is amazing. It is a tart. It's an onion tart with anchovy and olive. Very, very traditional, as is the steak frites. We're doing the steak frites now two ways. We're doing it with a bavette cut, which is the very traditional French cut, much fattier and rich. And we're now offering it with a heritage Black Angus, New York. So people get an option on that. Um, those are the three most traditional. Um, my personal favorites are Terama, which is a take on Salada, which I saw all over Paris last summer. It's a dip and it's delicious. And it is done with a smoked cod roe. Um, the duck liver mousse is probably, those two are probably my favorite on the menu. And then we've got tagines and couscous and all the pastries are in-house. So it's yummy. <laughs> you, you, you talk about the menu with such love. <laughs> it's just so great. You do. It's so, it's awesome. Okay. You mentioned your dad before. And I was, I was trying to think of a family in the restaurant business that is as accomplished as your family. And for those that don't know, start with your dad and then just go through. And you have a lot of family members and your your folks must have done something right because you have so many family members that decided to go into the restaurant business after your dad. Give us a brief on your dad. He started Morton's Steakhouse. Go from there. Well, David, I'm sorry, but my dad was already third generation. <laughs> so his dad was in the business and his grandfather. There you go. My dad is slash was Arnold Morton and... My dad worked with his father, Morton C. Morton, for many years and branched out on his own in the 50s, opening what really was Chicago's first quote-unquote key club. And uh, a gentleman by the name of Vic Lowndes loved the Walton Walk. And it's right where Le Passage... Sure. And in, in in, on Rush Street-ish, Gold Coast, yeah. Yes. And Vic went to University of Chicago and his best friend was a man named Hugh Hefner. And... First Playboy magazine had come out in 1955. Heff had written every article. This, so it's, we're 1958, 59, and, and Vic goes back to Heff and says, I met the guy. And Heff's like, what do you mean? He said, I met the guy who's going to build the empire. And they talked to my dad, and then my dad joined the group, and the three of them and another guy, Bob Proust, who was the treasurer, um, went on to build the Playboy Clubs, as we know them, my dad was vice president and built the clubs and hotels all over the world. 
And then in the early 70s, once Playboy got sold, they went public. When Playboy went public, my dad left. He said he got tired of raising his hand to go to the bathroom. And he took a year off, which freaked out my mom. And he then opened Arnie's, which was his, it really was his namesake um, in the Newberry Plaza, even though Morton Steakhouse became what he was known for. Of course. And um, became his multi-unit concept. So there's my dad, there's my brother, Peter, who did the Hard Rock Cafes. There is my brother, Michael, who did tons of restaurants in Chicago and now has done a bunch in Las Vegas. My brother, David, who has restaurants now in Chicago and New York. Um, My sister, Pam, Peter's twin, ran his restaurant, Morton. So there's a couple Mortons that escaped the business. And most of the time, we still all talk to each other. So that's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) But what was that like growing up? I mean, it must have been fascinating because you're all in like the hospitality business, right? And you see it, you live it, you breathe it. Uh, It must have been a fascinating childhood. It was amazing. It was amazing. Um, I'm the oldest of the five between my mom and dad. Peter and Pam were 15 years older than us. And so my dad was already deep into Playboy, you know, in my earliest memories. And so we would get to go to Jamaica for three months at a time while they built the club and London for a few months while they were getting it off the ground. I mean, that's how Peter wound up doing the hard rock. First, he did the Great American Disaster because there was no burger to find in town. And it morphed into the hard rock, just visiting my dad. Um, We learned at a young age that it actually was okay to send something back if it was not what we asked for and that it wasn't rude, but it really helped people. It really helped the owner and the chef. And that's one of my most deep-seated philosophies. Now I, I call every single person that's had an issue We're so incredibly grateful because if one person has a problem, chances are other people are. It's funny because I've had, you know, restaurateurs, owners or whatever come up to me, whether they know I'm whatever. And they go, no, we really want to know. How was everything? We really want to know. Right. And I think people are so used to just kind of, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But you can learn from something. Of course. And what I say to people is, and I might have said this to you, it's great hearing what's good. But what could have been better is what really helps us. People are uncomfortable saying it. And most of the time, people don't even when asked. And um, they tell somebody else. So (laughs) That's no fun. Growing up in my family was incredible. And there was a lot of adventure, a lot of great food, and a lot of family time. You must have had fascinating uh, family conversations, dinner conversations, just like, was it raucous? Was it quiet? Did you, you know, what was it like? No one could get a word in edgewise. Yeah, I had a feeling. <laughs> and I mean, when we were little and growing up, we really didn't know much about the business. Certainly none of us really had thought about what we were going to do. And now fast forward to today, most all will comment on the fact that myself and my sister ask more questions than anyone on the planet and, or that is just too much. <laughs> and we don't do it to be rude. We just, there's so many things we want to know. That's funny. But, but when you started years ago, cause you know, if somebody's just listening now, they might think this is your first, but when you started years ago, Mirador, and then you took time off and when you took time off to raise kids and all that, did you always have the plan? Oh, I'm definitely diving back in. Oh no. So I worked with my dad 
from the time, I mean, when I was 15, but when I got out of college, I worked with him. I opened my first restaurant at 27. That was Mirador. And when I got lucky enough to sell Mirador, I never wanted to eat in another restaurant, let alone own one. It was, I couldn't even, I was so young. I didn't know how to manage my own life, let alone the restaurants. And although it had critical acclaim and people loved it, I didn't know how to run the business. So when I sold Mirador, I did continue consulting and definitely stayed in restaurants. And my last job was director of operations at KDK. I took Cornick's job for wow. Red Light Vivo Marche. Oh, wow. But my life really took a spiritual path then. I got very into meditation and I did a four-year program in energetic healing at the Barbara Brennan School. And that really kind of filled this void that I had even when I had Mirador, when on the, even the busiest nights, I just kind of felt empty. And it was while I was in the Barbara Brennan School that I met Neil, who I got married to and have my three amazing daughters with. And so it never even crossed my mind that I would get back into the restaurant business until a kind of random lunch with Art Smith, who was one of our best guests at Mirador, who had since become Oprah's chef. And he put a bug in my ear and just said, why don't we do an organic restaurant? Because he'd come over to my house for, for lunch and I was already, you know, I'd thrown out all the preservatives and artificial ingredients. And after a year, I realized that Art was not doing this restaurant with me. But it's what became found, the first restaurant that I wound up doing. And that's one of the full circle stories about Latour that I think makes the project even more meaningful to me. So this has been a great conversation. It's always great catching up with you. I will leave you with this one thing, because I didn't really know how involved your dad was with Playboy. But because I grew up in the city, my father was a lawyer. He knew a lot of the Playboy folks because they were all kind of starting when, you know, the folks, our parents' generations were starting. But one of my childhood friends who I still Zoom with every Sunday night at five o'clock, his father was associate publisher for Playboy to Hefner. And the great thing about going over to Jerry Lehrman, my friend's house, his father, Nat Lehrman, was they were very comfortable, and this was like as a teenager, teenage boy, they were very comfortable having Playboys lying around the house everywhere. So it was always one of my favorite houses to visit as a 14-year-old or whatever. So I will leave you with that thought, the Playboy connection. It's great. Amy, it's great catching up with you. Congratulations on, on the restaurant <laughs> and the beautiful review and all that stuff. I hope to see you in person again soon. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. <laughs>Um, three of those are in LA, two are in New York, and they're planning one for Nashville as well. And they don't have a set 
timeline or a set number, but they're looking in other cities also. So let, let's let's take a step back. So Boca Restaurant Group was founded over 20 years ago by Kevin Bam, and he's the beau, even though it's pronounced Bam, and Rob Katz. And one time I saw them, I'm like, oh my God, you guys could have been Cabo. And they're like, look at me like, you know, why would we be Cabo? I'm like, good point. Um, and they started Boca on Halstead at an old restaurant called Blue Mesa. Okay. Blue Mesa was kind of this Tex-Mex that my brother, John, used to work at as a manager, started by Phil Marienthal, whose father started Mr. Kelly's way back in the day, which became Gibson's. The restaurant world is a small world. It's a small world. Here in Chicago, at least. Absolutely. And Kevin and Rob have just, you know, done miraculous things. They, When they opened Boca, they started with this chef, uh, Giuseppe Scarato. And after a short period of time, they, they switched out Giuseppe's. And they went from Giuseppe Scarato to Giuseppe Tintori, who's still, of course, involved in the Boca group. GT Fish, GT Prime, you know, one of them's close. But just like a remarkable, consistent growth, and you know, I, you know, I've always been astounded at how well they've done and how well they've gotten along. And you know, they have also attached themselves to great, great chefs: Stephanie Iser, Lee Wolin, Gene Cato, Daniel Rose, now with Le Select, and he has another restaurant in LA, one of theirs called Cafe Basque. Just remarkable. Totally, and you know, it's funny when you talk to these two because. They remember all these details from that first restaurant, even though collectively they've opened, I think it's 34 restaurants together, you know, some of which, as I said, have come and gone, but Mm -hmm. they remember all the details, you know, like from Boca, they remember which table the Obamas sat at. It was table 45. And that table eight was sort of the one that, you know, you didn't really, it was kind of the bad one because it was in the most congested part of the dining room. (laughs) And, you know, Kevin will talk about like he used to get this cilantro wrap from Pizza Capri across the street. He would come eat it in the same booth every day before the restaurant opened. And they also talk about this sort of pit in their stomachs, you know, this feeling there was a pit in their stomachs that they were just so scared those early days. You know, they were new dads also mm. and they were just getting their family started and they just felt like the whole world was on their shoulders and they were worried. What happens if this restaurant doesn't make it, you know? Mm-hmm. And fast forward to now, we're 20 years, more than 30 restaurants later, and they said that feeling still comes and goes, especially with the pandemic, but they're confident in this formula that they've created, which you just described perfectly, right? It's, you know, partner with a well-known chef, um, kind of find a culinary void in a neighborhood like with La Select, right? There's no big format French brasseries over in River North, so Mm -hmm. fill that void go from there. And they've become this restaurant group that everybody's sort of watching. And I think it's similar with this expansion outside of the city. It can be a risky move to go outside of your home market. You don't know people's taste there. You don't know. It it costs more money to open a restaurant outside of your home market because you have to build up the supply chain and your kind of management bench. Um, And your reputation's on the line and your time, right? Because they're going, they're both going, they're dining in all these cities, they're doing their research. And they told me that there are cities that they've been to, they've dined around at, and they thought, you know what, this isn't for us. Hmm. But, you know, partnering with those chefs, that helps them because maybe somebody in LA doesn't know Boca Restaurant Group, but they know Stephanie Iser, for example. They've started working with the Hoxton Hotel Group, which um, doing 
you know, opening restaurants within the hotel, which when you do those managerial deals like that, it helps offset some of the risk. So this is definitely one, a move that other Chicago restaurant groups have made in the past going outside of Chicago, but um, sort of a whole new world now post pandemic. And I think a lot of folks are going to be watching how these guys do. Right. A couple things. So they did the Hoxton here in Chicago. Cabra and some of the others. And I think it went so well that, that the Hoxton group just started doing other concepts with them. I think I think Cafe Basque, which is Daniel Rose's place in LA, is in the Hoxton there. It is, yeah. And one other thing that, that is both, you know, I totally admire them on, but also is a little bit of a problem. I used to, whenever I bump into them, I'd say, you know what, guys, every single time I dine at one of your restaurants, I'm just out, whether it was professionally or socially, I see one of you there. Like they they were so involved, they, whether it's stopping by for 20 minutes or being there for the evening, they were so immersed in the quality control to make sure there is such a presence. Now, clearly it's tougher to be a presence when you're in at least three different cities, totally. right? It's just, it's just tougher. So, um, you know, but I, I don't know, I don't know if they decided to do that because I really don't know the money situation where they got investors or whatever and they wanted to get bigger. I, I don't know if may, maybe that was the case, but you know, I'm I'm still kind of like wowed by their their growth and success. Yeah, so I do know some of the numbers actually and they estimate that their 2023 gross sales will exceed 200 million, which is almost double what it was in 2019. So you can see, you know, what the national expansion has done. And again, they've opened more restaurants here in the city as well, right? They also just opened um, the the three-in-one situation up in Southport. They've, they're have they working through opening that right now too. Oh, right. Sure. Where Little mm -hmm. Goat Diner moved up. And Chicken Chop. And those, exactly. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, that expansion is really doing that. And then when you grow outside of the city, what it does is bring growth that doesn't risk cannibalizing your revenue from your restaurants that you already have that exist. So there's that. Hmm. The way that they fund this expansion, you know, it's a mix of loans, capital from investors, and as we said, management deals. They've also got these other deals that they're thinking about. So a few months ago, they sold a minority stake in Boca Restaurant Group to uh, Levy. Oh, right. Yeah, which we've talked about, right? And and mm -hmm. they told me that, you know, that's not so much here's money to fuel your expansion, but thinking about expanding via stadium concessions, catering, all that stuff that Levy's good at. So they're thinking about growth in other ways as well, which I find interesting and sort of speaks to this whole, like, you know, after the pandemic kind of economic changes that have gone into operating a restaurant and how restaurant owners are thinking about all that differently, right? Like opening three in one in Southport, right? Like it's just cheaper to do that, you know? Sure. And um, they told me that they're also thinking about labor a lot differently. That's one cost we've seen go up a ton, you know, in the past couple of years. So they said out in LA, you'll see a lot of their, you know, maybe general managers running food out to the tables. Just, just thinking about um, how to set up to make it more sustainable so that people aren't working such long hours and they're getting paid well and you know things just aren't as risky and and as low margin as they have always been in the restaurant world yeah and as you mentioned before you know they've had some restaurants that have closed it doesn't seem to slow them down it doesn't seem to hurt them right no. so, so they've had more than a few and they um and they just kind of uh, figure out new ways to i'm not saying reinvent because they still open you know regular restaurants but like you say more institutional and i guess levy involved in that will help guide that as well Totally. I think at this point they are established enough. You know, I, as I was reporting the story, I was 
calling experts and other people that have run restaurants in the city and have gone outside of the city and talking to them about the risks. And pretty much all of them, they said, you know, I think Boca is in a place where the risk isn't enough to like bring them down if it doesn't work out, you know, like mm-hmm. it's a calculated risk, but it's not necessarily like if we do this and fail, we're going to go under. It's just them. They all told me this, right? They're smart businessmen. They know what they're doing in the restaurant world. So yeah, it's calculated and it's a decision that they have to make. Should we do this? Should we not do this? But, you know, a lot of folks I talked to said, we think that they're going to be able to to handle this and do it in the right way. If they would listen to me and been Cabo, hey. you know. <laughs> you know, maybe it's not too late. <laughs> not too late. It's always a rebranding opportunity. <laughs> All right. Uh, great talking to you. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Thanks for having me. That's our show this week. Thanks to Amy Morton of Latour Restaurant in Evanston and Crane's Alley Marathi. You can follow her reporting on the restaurant beat at chicagobusiness.com. Check our show notes for links to all the places we've talked about. The Dining Table with David Manilow is produced by the awesome Todd Manley at Crane's Audio Studio. Take a moment now to give us a rating review because that's the best way for others to discover our conversations. I'm David Manilow. I hope we can gather around the table again next week.